podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hola, amigos. This is Ray Hudson from Being Sports and Sirius XMFC, and you are listening to Barça Talk. Today on Barça Talk, La Liga is back. Though FC Barcelona are not playing this weekend, the rest of the teams are. We break down the latest Barca news of the week, latest player rumors, as well as our La Liga predictions. How do you think the rest of La Liga teams will stack up? How will the blog round finish this season? Hello, everyone. Welcome to Barca Talk, the FC Barcelona podcast from Spain and now the UK this week. My name is Gabriel Quiroga in the Spanish capital. Of course, that is Madrid. Charles Barling from Swindon. Charlie, welcome to Barca Talk. How are you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm really good. Thanks. We have a lot to talk about. Obviously, we're going to talk about our La Liga predictions on the second half of the show. Uh, but first, we're just going to do some quick hits of FC Barcelona news uh, let's talk about Messi. Obviously, you know, we've talked about it in the Barca talk community, essentially, uh, about the whole Messi saga. But this week, the big news here in Spain was Messi training all week and more importantly, being the first one to training. One of the other things, too, is, you know, more importantly, Charlie, where do you think his position is going to be this year? Do you think Kuman is going to actually, you know, kind of actually make him play on the right? Or do you think he's going to have the free reign like he did the past kind of three seasons? I think you've got to give him that free reign to get the best out of him. And I don't think Kuman's that stupid to try and force him to stay on the right. He, he'll give everything because he's totally professional. Um, he'll give, give everything for this season. I think if you if you try and stick him on the right, you're gonna he can do it, obviously, but you're going to lose a little bit from him. I mean, from this first half we saw this preseason friendly, he was in behind the strikers. And I think that's where he wants to be. And I think that would help Griezmann as well. So you get the best of both out of of that one. Yeah, so this is always the big dilemma, right? Putting Messi in the middle or on the right side, right? And obviously, as a true number 10, he should be up the middle. If Messi plays in the middle, what's the rest of the top three going to look like? I think for the main part, too, is his playmaking ability, right? So if he can just playmake and not have the defensive responsibilities that he needs to have, right? And I think if everyone else can accept that, then I think it's going to make the attacking trio up there or whatever the four is uh, really dangerous. I mean, especially, you know, we saw Dembele today and we were talking kind of earlier, you know, I still hold my breath every time he puts his, you know, sprints into fourth gear because we've seen him injured and you can already see just by watching the game, uh, the importance of how fast he is and the pressure he puts on that left side. I mean, he's so good. He made Jordi Alba look good. Charlie, what do you think? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think Dembele staying fit is going to be crucial. As as Craig said, the the mobility up front is is crucial to, to help Messi out. And with the speed of Dembele, he frightens people running at them. So I was a bit annoyed with um, Jordi Alba because he seems to moan so much lately. Yeah. But yeah, if if they can if they can all stay fit especially Dembele, then, then yeah, we'll, we'll have a good season, I think. Yeah, the other thing, too, I mean, watching this game, and we watched the, the first half, and my only contention still is that we do not want to shoot outside the box. And I think once we change that chip, right, because today we had Alenia playing in the center, and I thought he looked decent. You know, we were having more interlude play. We were crossing, doing these different things. But still, like, we still want that final ball three yards away from the goal. And there was a, there was a couple opportunities where we could have shot on top of the box. For example, I saw Alenia had an opportunity. Messi had an opportunity. They still want to do that. I think once we change that chip, per se, as they say here in Spain, cambiar el chip, we will be lethal of the front, and then we can just have to focus 
on the defense back there. Yeah, Charlie, were there any other performances you saw that got you excited? Uh, well, I didn't see a lot of the match because um, it kept cutting out. I had to try and find it on on a on YouTube. On YouTube, um, I'm wondering how Ricky Pooja is going to fit into this. If Messi's playing as that free role in behind the strikers, how do you think Ricky Pooja is going to to fit in with that? Would he find a spot? Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think the the, the biggest takeaway too is that if we can adapt two systems, the 4-3-3 and the 4-2-3-1 for different types of games and different types of opponents, I think that's really going to play into our hands and our depth. So that also solves the Ricky Puj system, right? So if, let's say in the second half we have to change to a 4-3-3, then he can get plugged in. That gives us more dynamism and all that stuff. So I think that is where we're going to look at. So again, Charlie, I think it's more important to look at the long game as Ricky Puj doesn't have to be the outright starter, but he does have to play more than 20 games. Right. That's the key. Right. And so just like you asked, like, how is he going to fit in? Maybe he comes in as a double pivot or maybe he comes in as a wing on a four through three just to give that help and to keep possession. So it all depends. But mainly it really comes down to the manager, because if the manager is going to use the youth on the bench, then that's going to be a huge step forward, because that's what we've been lacking for the last three or four years. Yeah, definitely. Because, I mean, we've had the oldest team uh, in most of the Champions League games we've, we've been playing. It's been, it's been the oldest squad in, in the, the Champions League. And that's, you can tell, it's so much slower. You've got, as you said, Suarez tying his shoelaces up at the front line, uh, waiting for balls to come to him if he can stay onside. And then when he turns and runs, players are catching him easy. So that extra speed and dynamism that we're going to get from these uh, lot younger players this season is going to be the whole difference i think and and that catch other teams out yeah i totally agree and the other thing too is you know by not having suarez there it doesn't feel that we're down to nine men right because just as craig pointed out tying his shoes and more importantly i think griezmann is going to have a good season this year i just have a good feeling about it. i mean honestly he didn't really have that bad of a season i mean especially if you compare him to hazard for example as the two high profile signings for each club right and he still scored enough goals everybody wants him to score more goals obviously but i think him being more involved and having the confidence that he knows he's going to start i think is going to be really helpful but more importantly i just think you know the youth but i also still have questions about the defense because we are still either lacking the closing or the tenacity to close on shots, for example, especially on that Tatarunical. I mean, I saw a question on Twitter, Charlie, where it's saying, is Miranda really that worse than Jordi Alba? You know, it's these type of questions because at least, you know, maybe on, on a talent level, he's not there, but the hustle and the youth may go a long time, a long way for the tenacity and closure. Because, for example, on that goal, Busquets had his hands back but did not close. And I don't know if, for example, Alenia makes that play or Todibo makes that play. So do you have any, maybe, I don't know, some answers for our defense, Charlie? Well, having <laughs> Busquets in front of, of that defense is slow himself. So maybe if you're playing that type of race over the double pivot, will will help enormously, especially if one of those is, is going to be De Jong because he's a lot more mobile. So here, get back and, and help out with that defense. So, so that's going to be a plus. But um, yeah, whether you put Miranda in instead of, of Jordi <laughs> Alba, yeah, I mean, one's experience and one's youth. Yeah. Which one to go with? So I think it, you, you'd have to pick the right games to to play Miranda if you're going to play him and then ease him in more. The more experience he gets, then then maybe you can start putting him into the bigger games towards the end of the season. But yeah, having, as Craig said, that double pivot in front of the defence will, will make it better this season. Um, but yeah, it, if, you, if you're just going with Busquets who's slow in front of two slow 
center backs, then you're going to have problems. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, I, I, with the double pivot, I think that'll really help in the last 10 minutes of games because then those guys don't have to cover so much space, right? I think that's really going to help. Now, the other thing, obviously, we're talking about the defense and so forth. And, you know, with PK playing another season, that is going to be our biggest difficulty this season. I don't think we're going to have problems scoring goals, but I think in the big matches, we're going to give a lot of dangerous counterattack possibilities. I mean, again, I think the days of the starting 11 playing more than 30 games is out the door now, you know, and I think with this team, it's really important to find a good mixture of, you know, 14 to 15 players that are all going to contribute. And because that's going to be vital at the end of the season when we have all these major runs. So, um, all right, let's let's go on to the the new kind of it's not a new rule, but now it's going to be integrated this season is the five substitutions going forward. And we got this question from one of our patrons, Leroy. So, Charlie, I give it this question. Do you feel the five substitution rule now that's going to take into effect now for the season will benefit Kuman? Yes, definitely. <laughs> because um, you can literally put on new players, fresh legs. If, you, if something's not going wrong, you change tactics. You've got more flexibility to change the tactics because instead of just if – before you, you want to change tactics, you put one player on and then get the rest to try and fit in with that. You can change two two or three players at one time and change the whole tactics a lot easier. So I mean, a lot of people are arguing that these five substitutes are going to benefit the bigger clubs more than the smaller clubs because they've got bigger squads normally. Um, and now our squad is in, improved. Yeah, five substitutions are definitely going to help us. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest question more is if we actually use the substitutions, right? Because you can have 10, 9, but if you don't use them, like our previous coaches never used substitutions, then it yeah. does no good. So I think it's, a, you know, I think it definitely can help. I think this is going to bring in a kind of a new wave of football because before with the three substitutions, the manager really had to depend on those starting 11s making the tactical adjustments in the 60th, the 70th minute. But now with five, you can essentially change the whole tactical system and essentially bring on almost a new starting 11 with, like you said, Charlie, with the smaller clubs. Yes. You know, maybe they don't have the depth of talent, but again, you know, when you're a smaller club, you just have to exploit your system. If you're fast, go fast, but then bring in more horses to come in. Right. So I think that is how the smaller teams are going to be able to compete with the bigger teams. But Charlie, I ask you with this, you know, with the five subs, you know, I, for me, it's crucial that if Kuman does use these subs, he's got to put them in at least in the 75th minute and not in the 89th plus one, you know? Oh, God, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, you pull your hair out with last season, you know, no subs at all, and you're getting into the 70th minute and you're thinking, you've got five. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you what, what are you doing? Yeah, they, they've, it's got to be earlier. Um, if you can see it's going wrong early enough, even in, if it's just the first half, if you can see the tactics aren't working early enough, you, you can make two or three changes straight away and then save two for the second half. Um, but if it is going well, I'm hopefully that Kuman is going to start using the youth, that if you're getting towards later in the game, you can start bringing in some younger players just to get, get them some, some game time and, and that will help improve the team as well. So, yeah, if you've got five subs, use them. Use the whole lot, you know, because it's going to benefit the whole team eventually. So because you're, you're going to rest the older players as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, why you wouldn't use them, 
you're going to be crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one of the things that annoyed me when I played and if I had to be a sub was to come in on the 85th minute. I mean, what do you expect me to do? Yeah. You know, and I'm not saying I was a world-class player. I was good. But I mean, one of those things is it takes you time to get the, you know, into the rhythm of the yeah, game. And the game. Exactly. And you can't just show up and just get the ball and score. Like that just never happens. You know, it's one, mm-hmm. you know, it's very few and far between. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, you know, with these five substitutions, the tactical system that Kuman's using and how he develops with his youth, right? I mean, I'm excited because, you know, we've flushed out basically Vidal and Rakitic and Suarez. So now we have to use the youth. So going forward, I think that's going to be really helpful. So uh, before we get into our La Liga predictions, I just want to talk about our Patreon community. So um, join our Patreon community for daily content about FC Barcelona. This week, we added two new members, Adriano Carriero and Jorge Almiral. I hope I pronounced those correctly. And so for $5 a month, you can join our WhatsApp group, our daily mini pods, our Barca Talk Cafe with Mariana and I as we discuss the news from Spain. So join the community and help support the podcast so we can continue creating great Barca content. After the break, we preview the contenders of La Liga. All right, so we're going to do our La Liga predictions. We're going to kind of pick some teams, go over some of their off-season notes, and kind of pick, uh, finally at the end, our predictions and see who's going to be wrong or right or eating crow at the end. I believe I'm going to be correct because I'm always right. But let's start off with let's start off with Real Madrid. Now, the first thing uh, that's been reporting this week, I, you know, it's funny because after the Messi saga was closed, the Madrid press here had to focus on something else. And the new thing was Hazard's weight. Charlie, have you seen any photos of Hazard coming into camp? No, no, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't seen anything about those at, at the moment, no. Yeah, so he's overweight again. That's that's the big oh, thing. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's the thing. So with Hazard being overweight, um, they also have their own saga with Bale. But obviously Bale's not that important because he hasn't been playing any games that uh, recently, what about you, Charlie? What do you think about uh, what do you think about Madrid this year? I have a quick question, actually, for because I'm I'm curious to hear your opinion on this. What What is your opinion on Benzema? Um, getting older and getting slower. Um, <laughs> I, I I expected him to to really step up after Ronaldo went. I thought Benzema can shine now. He's not having to look for for um, Cristiano all the time because he was dictating all the plays that he wanted to score all the goals. If he didn't, he had a tantrum. And I thought, oh, well, Benzema's free up now. He he can go in, he can score the goals. He's not going to have to look for, for anyone else. It's just going to be done. And it hasn't really happened for him. He, he's got better towards, especially after the, the, the break for COVID. When he came back, he looked a lot sharper. But he, he's our Suarez, isn't he? He's slowing <laughs> down, he's getting a little bit older. And I'm not totally convinced by him. I think they're going to have to have someone else up there with him uh, to to help him out. Yeah, I think that's the biggest issue they're going to have. I think their midfield is strong. It's what I would love to have in the midfield, a little mix of veterans, but with really talented youth who can just run, you know? Yeah, so Charlie, how do you have them finishing this season? Well, hopefully second. <laughs> but there's yeah, it's a strong possibility they could they could win the Liga uh, uh, for a second time. Oligard, amazing player, having him back that uh, loan season has has uh, definitely boosted him. Yeah, they're going to be hard to beat. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they're going to repeat this season. I think for two major reasons, they don't have to have a transition period going into the season. They already know uh, what to expect with their players. Zidane has them; they want to play for them. And the other thing is, which is very bizarre, they just don't have drama. And that cures a lot of things when you can just 
focus on football. That doesn't happen very often with Real Madrid. And especially if their biggest drama is that Hazard's overweight and Bale, who doesn't play anymore, is trying to move, then they really have an ideal environment. And they're going to be good enough where they're going to be able to beat these top teams one nothing two one, especially with their midfield. You know, I hope they don't. But you know, looking as an analyst and like looking at the you know stats and everything, I just it's really hard to argue against uh, what they've been doing. So let's go to the next team, Atletico Madrid. Their biggest issue right now is with Morata. There's a big saga going that he is trying to go back to Juventus because obviously that's when he had uh, his best year playing. Um, but Charlie, what about Joao Felix? Do you think he improves from last season? Does he go double digits in scoring? It's possible. I think he's, now he's fitted in a little bit uh, better. Um, if Simeone lets him play how he wants to play, because Simeone's thing is very restrictive, if Joao Felix can have that bit more freedom, uh, they get the best out of him. In the past, you could see Atletico have tried to change their style, and it hasn't worked. They've had to go back to their defensive best and 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 just uh, stifle teams every time they've tried to change that and and be more flowing and try to be more attacking it hasn't really worked for them so i think you have to stick at what you're best it's it's kind of in their dna that they're they're a counter-attack team and i think that's what they have to try and stay with rather than than try and do something else and it's all right in you saying he's trying to justify his wages because he is the highest paid uh, manager in in europe probably in the world i think but to try and do that and, and play more expansive football that, that's going to catch them out, I don't think they should do that. I think they should stick with what they know. I see them finishing fourth. Charlie, what about you? How do you see them finishing? Yeah, I'd go with fourth as well, okay. yeah. Yeah, I think I think the the only thing if you're an Atletico fan, right, to see how they're going to maybe turn the title a bit is if maybe Llorente has a breakout year, if he gets more time, you know, playing in the midfield and partnering up with – you know, Joe Felix up there or whoever else. I mean, I think that could help. But, you know, without Burgos and without the crowd, I think they're going to lose those points against those top tier teams. Let's go now to, I think, one of my favorite teams, kind of like my secret team that I like to cheer for is uh, Real Sociedad, uh, mainly because I love San Sebastian. It's one of the best cities of Spain. But more importantly, they had a great signing of De- David Silva. He's coming off his career at Man City. Obviously, they're a young team. Charlie, any players or anything that sticks out for you for Real Sociedad? And more importantly, how do you think they're going to finish? I think they can do well. Um, I think David Silva comes in at a, a very good time because he's going to replace Oligard. Um, and so, and with his experience as well, that's going to be a big boost because they're a fairly young team, aren't they, uh, Sociedad? So, yeah, I, um, I, can, I don't think they're getting the top four, but maybe get in the top six, possibly. But yeah, it's it's a good team. Yeah, yeah, they are very young, and I think that plays. I think last season was kind was maybe like a trial season for them to actually fight for Europe to be right there and really kind of just go through the growing pains that they needed to. And I think this season it'll really help them because now they know how to pace themselves to the thing. Because remember last season in December when they beat Madrid, they were the darling of La Liga. Now, obviously with the break with COVID, they lost that momentum. And I think that really hurt them. I can see them fighting for fourth. I think if they hit the ground running and I can see one scenario where David Silva this season really helps them out. And maybe the following season he tails off just because he's older, but I think he'll be rejuvenated coming back to Spain I think the language barrier is going to really help him. I mean, I know he can speak English, but, you know, it's one of those things when you can just communicate on the field without even thinking that just helps you so much 
And I just think with the youth and just like I said, the pacing from last season, I think that they really learned it. So I see them fourth or fifth. Uh, Sevilla, Sevilla, right? So obviously they are the Europa League winners and they just win that tournament all the time. I mean, that is their that is their bread and butter. Obviously, Rakitic going back to Sevilla. I mean, they're always a tough team. Monchi does a great job of, you know, constructing that team. Obviously, you saw when he left, they struggled, you know, with their with their team and their roster, man, I would love to have him at Barca with all our money and to kind of just figure all that stuff out. But that's, that's another pipe dream. But uh, Charlie, what do you think about Sevilla? You know, with Rakitic going back, I think that's really going to help them. How do you see them finishing? Are there any players for you that for us to watch on Sevilla? Um, well, they've got De Jong up front as well. Um, and Munir um, Ocampos is, is, is a, was, a, was great for them at the end of uh, last season as well. Um, I can see them finishing third. I can see them getting that that third spot behind um, either Madrid or Barca and ahead of Atletico Madrid. Yeah, I mean, I can see that too. I think, you know, they're one of those teams, you know, especially with their coach now with Lopetegui having another season. I think that's really vital, right? When you know the tactical system, what to expect from the coach, I think that always goes, you know, you don't have to wait for the transition in the fall, right? And so September. So you don't hopefully lose those points, right, at the beginning. So I definitely think they're going to be up three or four again. I think they're going to be up there. And I also think their midfield, I mean, obviously they lost Ever Bernega. Again, I don't I don't understand this move at all. I mean, because I still thought he had time. And I know he went kind of for the money to the Middle East. But again, it's, it's one of those things. I mean, I would have loved him to see him in Sevilla because I think he would have really helped them stay competitive and so forth. All right, so we have two more teams that we want to talk about. Let's just really quickly talk about Hitafe. Yeah, I, I dislike the football they play, but you kind of feel that that's what they have to do. They, yeah. they play football they, they need to play to get where they where they are. Um, I think not having fans in the stadium for them is going to be a, a big deal as well because they rely on a, a, a lot of noise in, in that uh, in the Coliseum, um, especially last season. They had more fans than they've had before. The season before, it probably wouldn't make much difference because they didn't have too many fans going. So. But they had started to get generate that that fan feel in in that stadium because it's quite small and, and compact. So yeah, I think that they they could struggle because they won't have that factor as well. That style matches Hitafe as a city. It's an industrial, hardworking city, and so you know it's kind of you know a little bit more gruntier than Atletico Madrid fans. You know, it's just kind of that type of idea. So you know, again, it's not it, the style fits the city and the, and the team. I think they did get affected by not having fans because it does give them that, that place is a weird place to play. You know, it's a, it's, it's a small stadium, but it also has good atmosphere and the fans are right on top of you. Right. It's not like a big theatrical stadium, like the camp nowhere, you know, the fans don't really have that much effect on the, on the play and the players and so forth. Yeah. I think the second, second half of the, the table for, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. Top, top first. <laughs> yeah, I would agree too. I think they definitely have peaked. And, you know, the hardest thing for this type of team is to continue to compete going into Europe when you have such a thin roster and more importantly, a thin payroll. And that's really the, always going to be the hardest thing. Let's finish off with Villarreal. I think they really kind of, they're kind of the darlings here of Spain right now. You know, not only with Santi Cazorla always playing there, now he's no longer there, but really three main things, right? That is three major signings, right? First, let's talk about Emery as a coach. Charlie, they bring in Unai Emery. Obviously, his spell at Arsenal did not go well. You know, he was he was fired there and then comes back to Spain, which I always thought he should have just stayed. I understand you go to Paris and go to Arsenal for for glory and money. But I think, you know, he's the perfect Spanish manager. So what do you think Emery does with Villarreal? Does he make them a contender and fight for Europe? 
Yeah, because I think he, he fits with Spanish football better. I'm not sure if he had a, a problem with language while he was at um, Arsenal or Paris Saint-Germain or if it was just a clash of styles. But I think he fit better with, with Villarreal. Um, he's had experience in Europe previously with Sevilla. That, that will help them as well. So he knows what, what to do, when to do it. And yeah, I think and the Villarreal team is, is a decent team anyway. So to take that on, it's almost perfect. Yeah, I would agree. I think he does make a huge impact. I think just like you said, you know, I think the language barrier is very underrated. And I always applaud managers who go to other countries when they don't speak the language because that's so difficult, right? I mean, you can imagine, you know, you have everything in your head, but you have no way of explaining it. And I think that goes a long way. And I think him coming back to Spain is just really going to unlock via Real. Now, they also made two key signs. They signed Cubo from Mallorca and Danny Parejo from Valencia. I think those are really big moves because I think especially with Cubo being young, I think he's going to give him the attacking and more talent that they needed. And then Dani Parejo just gives him that stability in the midfield. So what do you think of those moves that Villarreal did? I mean, I thought obviously from a salary standpoint and just finding those players was was brilliant. And I think they're going to make a huge impact immediately. I think they're going to fight for Europe, Europa League. I think that's where they'll fit in perfectly. And especially with that style of play that hopefully Emery will bring and obviously with the talent that they're going to have like you said Baca they have on the bench who can still score so Charlie how do you see them finishing this season yeah I think they can get into that top six for sure um I think top four might be a, a bit more of a stretch it depends on if uh, Atletico have a really bad time and and go down to, to six or something and then and maybe Villarreal can maybe grab a fourth spot but probably more likely it'll be top six, I think, for them. Yeah, I think top six is very realistic for them, especially with the other teams in La Liga, just, you know, with all the player movement or lack of player movement. And I think with what Villarreal have done, and especially with Emery's coaching experience and pedigree in La Liga, just knowing the league inside and out, I think he's going to really impact them. Now let's finish off the episode with, you know, unfortunately the the relegation battle. I mean, I, you know, fortunately, as, as Barca fans, we have the luxury that we don't really have to worry about this. But for relegation purposes, you know, this is pretty much wide open. Three teams that you see not surviving the gauntlet of La Liga this season. Uh, well, it's pretty difficult for the three that have come up already. Um, Cadiz, uh, Wesker and, and Alche. Um, I think it's Alche who haven't got that big a squad either. So mm-hmm. that's an added bonus for them to go down straight away. Wesker might have a bit more about them, apparently. Um, so it, it it could be Alaves's turn to to face that drop zone, or even maybe depends on how things go for Salta. If if it doesn't work out for them, because they've struggled to stay the last few seasons, it could be their season to go down. But I think Cadiz is the most likely, obviously, uh, and Wesker, and then uh, sorry, uh, Alche, and then Wesker might just escape if one of the others has a disaster. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, it's always, especially with what's going on with with COVID and and the league and so forth, it's really going to be the difficulty to stay up for those newly promoted teams, right? I mean, I, if I were a betting man, I would just go with those three, right? Elche, Wesca, and Cadiz. Again, you brought up a really good point because Celta the last few seasons have been fighting <laughs> relegation and Aspas has saved them twice, essentially, this season. Yeah. You know, last season, the season before, I, and Alaves is a good one, too, because I can see them, you know, especially with their thin payroll and their players, that can also be touchy. But you know what's funny with the Athletic Club? It's it's one of those things. It's, you know, I love their policy of the Basque players on the roster. I think 
Barcelona should incorporate something of that with La Masia. Not fully. I just think something like this, right? But the problem with that team, too, is that it's the same players and they don't do a new cycle because it's hard for them because of the policy, right? So it's one of those things is they peak maybe two years ago, then they wish that they're going to improve from that. And then this season, I was watching the game as well. Granada just looked so much superior. And you, you're just kind of like, Bilbao has good players. I don't understand how they're getting run. And it's 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 one of those things. And Athletic, I think, has to be careful. It's one of those things. I don't think they will because they've never, but I, I think it's one of those things. Well, let's, let's finish off just to conclude the top four, how they're going to finish. Okay, so unfortunately, Real, um, Barca, Sevilla, and then Atletico Madrid. I see it a little bit differently. I'm gonna I'm gonna put the little monkey wrench in here. I'm gonna say Real Madrid, Sevilla, and I think we could be, be fourth. I think it's going to be a difficult season. Uh, I think, you know, it's really going to be exciting to see young these young players play, but the consistency to get points is going to be very difficult, especially at the beginning of the month. So I could see, um, <laughs> I could see it this way: Real Madrid, Sevilla, Real Sociedad, Barca. With that youth, we'll 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 be more beneficial than than that uh, second place with the old uh, team exactly it's a great point i mean this is the thing this is the transition that hopefully builds the next five to six seasons right so that's how you're kind of looking at it well that's our la liga predictions and that basically closes up our episode for barca talk so thanks guys for joining us and until next week remember we have daily content every week and we are producing stuff you're going to hear i think charlie this week and craig this week with their opinions on on Barca things and and obviously with me doing the Barca Talk Cafe with Mariana. So until next time. Barca Talk is a production of Sounded Media with social media and promotion by Two Point Go. Until next time, Visca Barca. Visca Barca. Sports Social Podcast Network.